Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. So today we are debunking common nutrition myths, Jess and I. Uh, Jess first gets into the background on what makes for evidence-based recommendations in nutrition and how nutrition myths can spread and how they fool us, kind of. Um, A very important part is how to decipher which myths are true and false. So we dig into a little bit of that, which definitely brought about our babe gluten. And we discuss whether gluten is unhealthy and should we be avoiding it to the point at which we are. We also touch on organic foods and pesticides and kind of chatting about is organic really healthier, which leads us to the topic of soya and we break it down on do soya products contain estrogen, do they affect hormone levels and can it be a part of a healthy diet. We then touch into the juicing topic, which I know is quite a juicy one at that. And we just, you know, ask the question why and why not to do it? And do we really need to detox? Ending off, we chat about processed foods. We also discuss carbs. And then lastly, fresh food versus canned slash frozen. And is fresh always better? So we hope you enjoy this week's episode. As always, we'd love to hear from you. So you can reach out to either Jess or I or pop us a comment or review. Enjoy this week's podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to episode six of the podcast with myself and Jess. Today, we're going to be debunking common nutrition myths. So I thought it would be really great to start off with like how to understand what makes for evidence-based nutrition recommendations. Mm-hmm. Cool. <laughs> so this is a big topic. Cool. We can speak about this for like two hours, but I'm going to say that there are different levels of evidence when it comes to science and medicine. Um so there are things that are like considered low quality evidence and high quality evidence. So you'll see a lot of the time in, on social media, in media in general, kind of there'll be like a report of a study and there'll be like a study found that eating more sugar leads to diabetes or something like yeah. that. And we, when we read those sorts of articles, we don't know like what type of study was it? What was the population size? Um, what were like was there a control group that's really important um in all nutrition studies so there should be a group that where who doesn't eat sugar for example and a group who does eat sugar and you can kind of compare is that what a controlled group environment so a control group is always the placebo so it's the person that doesn't have the intervention or has an intervention that can look like sugar so like sometimes they give them like xylitol and they think they're eating sugar but they're not you know that kind of thing or if it's a drug trial it'll be the control group gets just a sugar pill or placebo pill and the intervention group gets the actual drug and then they can compare the differences in nutrition it's obviously difficult to have a control group because like how do you fool someone into thinking they're eating vegetables when they're not eating vegetables like things like that but you can't make a fake vegetable (laughs) so it's actually really difficult to create control groups in in a lot of nutrition trials so a lot of our nutrition um, studies come from non-controlled trials which are usually observational studies so that means we just like observe what people eat over time and we see what diseases they get and how healthy they are and we can kind of like quantify like we can look at thousands of people and be like oh well of the people that eat more than three servings of fruit today they tend to get cancer less or they tend to get heart disease less or whatever it is and we can kind of start to understand which dietary factors actually play a role in our health. So it's a bit of a long game. Yes. And longer studies are higher quality studies, actually. Because yeah. if you look at what something in your diet does over a year, you don't really know what it's going to do over 20 years. So some of our observational studies are lifelong. That's amazing. We have studies that go on for 50 years. In observ- and those studies are extremely expensive because you have to pay researchers and data collectors and all that stuff for 50 years. That's <laughs> um, crazy, actually. And it's large populations of people. And you have to find these people over a period of 50 years. Like, people exactly. disappear. People move countries. Um, <laughs> Just find people them up. Die. Sorry, how's your health? 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, sometimes you have to do blood tests on all these people, like every every year or every six months, and you've got to like trace them down wherever they are in the world and send a researcher out to them and do like a controlled blood test, you know. So um, those studies are very difficult to do. They cost a lot of money, and um, they are usually very good quality kind of evidence. There are flaws to them, like people can lie about what they've been eating, people can underestimate what they've been eating, overestimate what they've been eating, because usually it's it's like, uh, it relies on reported data, which is like, you kind of question people, and you give them questionnaires, asking them like, how many fruits do you eat today, how many veg do you eat today, that kind of thing, and people can, can just like, make things up in their head or well, like to them it's fact but yeah. really it's very out of proportion like, yeah. based on how much of the quantity or quality of the stuff is yeah so i guess um my we can talk about this forever but we're not yeah. going to go into more detail <laughs> but my basic thing is like just when you do see i guess what looks like evidence coming from a, a nutrition study definitely just take it with a pinch of salt because as researchers and like health practitioners we know that every study every new study that comes out has to be put in the context of like the broader evidence so if all the evidence for example that we've done over you know i don't know 100 years is kind of pointing towards that vegetables are healthier for us and there's one little study done on 10 people that shows no those people that eat more veg let's say die sooner we're not going to take that too seriously we're going to be like maybe that was a flawed study or maybe something there was another was at play yes yeah yeah or maybe that population of people had like a genetic thing that made them yeah you just respond badly to vegetables or i mean these are just examples you know so there's so many things that can affect the outcome of a study that we can't just look at individual small studies and be like yes that is the answer to nutrition it's more just a conversation yeah that's interesting yeah. But in the bigger scope of things. Exactly. That's and actually, like a longer study, essentially. Yeah, that's what, when you read these studies, like if you actually go through the effort of downloading the full PDF and read what the authors of the study say, they'll always make those conclusions. They'll always be like, this was interesting, but it doesn't mean much. <laughs> like we need to study this further. You know, that's kind of what they say. Like we need to do it again. We need to have a bigger um, budget for it. We need to do it on more people over a longer period of time. And maybe we need to also study why this could be happening, like more of the physiological side of things, or we need to try comparing this to this, you know? So they'll kind of just say, like, this is a point to investigate further, mm. but it, it shouldn't change what we eat from day to day. Yeah. Um, there's very little in terms of evidence that can really, like, make us think, like, wow, okay, I really need to change what I eat from day to day. So, yeah, that's just a bit of background, I guess. Awesome. So, on the background of nutrition myths, how can they how can they spread and kind of fool us into believing that they they are in fact correct, especially yeah. small based studies yeah you know is it the fear is it the the way in which medium they're spread like yeah, I think there's a lot of fear mongering in terms of like how the media kind of reports nutrition studies um so there'll be like a headline being like people who eat red meat get colon cancer or 30 percent increased risk of colon cancer in red meat eaters like those sorts of of um headlines are very like fear-mongering you know um so i think those headlines just catch attention and that's why from a marketing perspective it makes sense to use those sorts of headlines you know but it can really scare people into um yeah cutting out foods unnecessarily or eating really restrictive diets um so yeah i think it's mostly just the misinformation that gets spread through like media through social media um uneducated or qualified people yeah exactly um and i think it's really dangerous actually to listen to like I know there are a lot of people on social media who will be like, well, I cut this out because of this, this, and this. And there won't even be like a study that they're referencing. They'll just kind of be doing it for whatever. They'll say it's for personal reasons or because of their personal journey, whatever it is. But obviously that influences the people that are watching them and those people think that maybe 
that food is not healthy and they should try cut it out too. Yeah. So I think a lot of the nutrition myths out there aren't even based on media or reporting of studies. They're just based on like influence from other people that have a big following or from celebrities True. or yeah, or someone who maybe has built up a um, an audience that looks up to them for let's just say like recipes or something yes. and then in that space they decide to share their journeys and then in the journeys of bunny ear healing um, and when I say that I mean inverted commas um, there is there's an element that we spoke about in the previous episode where we said a lot of healing actually just comes from giving your body time mm -hmm. and that is kind of inevitable with a lot of healing but in that time you make a lot of decisions and you could potentially think those are the decisions are the results of your healing yeah. so it's like <clears throat> I, I still think I'm very 50 on people sharing their personal journeys when it comes to any kind of like illness or diet or um, transition in their life because it can be taken as like that did that and therefore I should do it too mm -hmm. but there's also a nice like community that can be built on not feeling completely alone yeah maybe it's just like boundaries or something and like what you're exactly sharing yeah but and maybe like the way you share it like yeah. maybe making it clear that like this is not we don't know whether like this is evidence or whatever yes. this is just mine but still again people could take their journey as fact exactly um but how then how do we decipher these myths you know like what's true what's false like there's so much out there yeah I think it's really difficult but I guess what I would say is firstly using common sense can be a good start I mean we all know from our I guess just from like high school already like we know fruits and vegetables are healthy and eating a balanced diet is healthy and you know eating things in moderation so if you see a nutrition myth or a nutrition message that seems very extreme like I would say don't take that as fact just like you know or something that seems like completely counter to anything you've ever heard before really go research it further um I guess who is giving you the information is important like is this person qualified do they have are they like a medical doctor are they a dietitian do like qualifications on everything and I think doctors and dietitians do sometimes spread nutrition myths but it's a good start to know that the person who's mm. talking does have some, have kind of some sort of like scientific background, you know, like, are you going to be taking your nutrition info from a fitness model or like, I don't know, just someone who's an active person that looks good. Yeah. I wouldn't recommend that. Um, a lot of people who look good, look good by default because they have good genes Genetics, or, yeah. you know, um, and it doesn't, it's not to do with you know they kind of like build a business and say well I look this way because of what I eat and how I exercise but that's usually not the case they usually always looked pretty good um yeah so I think that's a good start and if you do if you do have the tools to really like you know research things yourself and, and look things up and maybe even ask a health professional that you trust what they think of something um even if it's just your like family GP and be like so what do you think of you know, yeah. this nutrition thing that's going around at the moment because they can usually, even if they don't know a lot about nutrition, I think doctors have a scientific mind and are scientifically trained and can usually put things into perspective pretty well. Um, yeah, I don't know. Do you have any other ways that you, like, filter myths? Um, I normally filter myths by, like, an influx of a new topic. Yes. So if suddenly there's, like, this huge overflow of information based on like one specific thing and like a hype around something a hype, yeah. yeah that's normally when I have a big question mark but I'm I've always been someone who's like a bit of a black sheep so as soon as people start going one way I'm like but then I want to go the other way yeah so I think in like naturally that makes me very curious so I always dig deeper and I question I think questioning everything that anyone pushes mm -hmm. immensely is a good way to at least get a starting block of what could potentially be true or false. Yeah. I would say that's my biggest yeah. tip. I think also like following the money in a way is, is yeah. really interesting because if someone's trying to sell something to you, question like question that for sure. Like they maybe are claiming that something is really healthy or really important because they're just trying to make money. So I think anytime someone's selling like 
a diet book or a supplement or something like that, I would really question what their intentions are. Yeah. Are they giving unbiased information or are they giving biased information so that they can sell something? And obviously every time there's a hype around a new product, like let's say, for example, collagen, because that's like mm. the latest hype type of thing, you've got to be like, okay, is it really that all of a sudden there's new science to show us that there's this new amazing product that can provide all these benefits? Or is it literally that the supplement industry wanted to come up with a new product to make more money um, and they just have marketed it aggressively? And mm. that is basically what's happened with collagen is it's been really well marketed. Um, it got cauliflower's hype team. Yes. <laughs> and <laughs> kales. And kales. <laughs> Talking about the food side of things, um, I'd love to touch on gluten, the the enemy of all. <laughs> yes, I'm joking. <laughs> so, like, is gluten unhealthy? Like, should we be avoiding it? I know we've kind of touched on this with our IBS topic, but mm-hmm. like, just from like a general debunking of myths, like, is gluten really that much of an a hole? Because this poor guy has got the worst rep. <laughs> It's so funny. Um, I actually, yeah, people have really demonized gluten and a lot of people I see, they're like, I mostly eat gluten-free. Like, you know, it's funny when you're a dietitian because people almost try to like impress you with what they, <laughs> what they eat. And then it's they the same with exercise. They're like, you know, I used to be like super fit. I'm like, babes, it's fine. You're here now. They just get you moving. I like, used to run marathons. Yes. <laughs> um, not like, like not making fun of them, but it's more just like, yeah. It doesn't matter what you do, yeah, what yeah. you eat. Like, like, we don't really judge people. Like, no. we don't really care where you're at right now. Um, I almost like people to come in on a blank slate. Like, to me, that's more fun because I can, like, build from there as opposed to people coming in with, like, preconceived ideas yeah. of, like, what they should be eating and what they shouldn't be eating because then I have to, like, undo all the false thinking first before so we can start. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure you have the same thing with like exercise where like people are like, hit is the best. No, it's, <laughs> mind, it's I really just don't want to do heavy weights because I don't want to bulk. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. um, <laughs> so yeah, gluten, I guess has been really demonized and I really think it, it comes from this whole, I think it comes from this whole idea that like carbs make you fat mm. and you know, pasta and bread are going to make you gain weight. And people are just so scared of gaining weight. They're so scared of carbs. They're so scared of pasta and bread. And like lately the conversation has changed. Like it's because of the gluten in those foods. That I've also heard the conversation, yeah. but I've heard the, the, the conversation of like gluten increasing leaky guts. Mm. And being like pro-inflammatory and yes, things like yeah. that. Yeah, for sure. And, and if you're celiac, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you are like allergic to gluten or you have celiac disease or you have gluten sensitivity which is very rare by the way it's not like every second person as what we see in the wellness world um then yes for sure like gluten is going to cause inflammation in your gut and it's going to maybe cause like some systemic issues but if you are not gluten sensitive there is really nothing wrong with gluten i think um yeah i think it's an interesting conversation because I guess like in the 90s and the early 2000s like talking about carbs as scary and bad and fattening foods was like the big conversation and in the last sort of 10 years people have moved more into like talking about things from a wellness perspective like we don't demonize foods for being fattening anymore but we demonize foods for being unhealthy or toxic or inflammatory yeah inflammatory dangerous cancerous all those sorts of things Mm. so that's like our big like fear these days is like that things are going to give us cancer or make us sick um and we have like a serious distrust of you know food what our bodies can also do yeah um and i guess we've all become aware that like people are getting diseases more and are dying younger and things like that so and we kind of maybe think it's our food or our diet which maybe to an extent it some of it is but some of it's also other environmental things i think too so yeah so i guess um gluten at the end of the day is a protein um and generally speaking we don't react badly to proteins because proteins actually get broken down into amino acids so we just absorb the amino acids and the amino acids our body's just like oh you fed me protein that's all it knows um so the only time gluten can really cause issues is if you are allergic to that protein 
Um, I do think some people do react badly to certain gluten-containing products. We did res- we did um, cover this in the IBS episode, mm. like about you know how some gluten-containing products can be high in FODMAPs. And I definitely find like kind of refined carbohydrate foods tend to cause some gut issues for people. Like eating like white pasta and white bread and sugar, obviously. And then people will think, oh, well, I ate a big pasta and I got bloated. Therefore, it's the gluten. Meanwhile, it's probably just like the type of carbohydrate that you had that's fermenting in your gut and the amount that you had, you know. Yes, that's very true. So, yeah, the simple answer is we shouldn't be avoiding gluten if not necessary. Um, actually, but just being like aware of how our body responds to yeah. the quality of it and the quantity. Yeah, for sure. And bear in mind that like gluten is a protein, but there are many other cons- well, there's many other ingredients in a slice of bread, for example. So just because you respond to bread negatively doesn't mean it's the gluten. Gluten's like the famous thing that everyone's talking about so everyone just thinks okay well i get bloated from bread therefore gluten's the problem but it can be like the carbohydrates in the bread it can be the yeast in the bread it can be a million things it can be wheat it can yeah it can be just like the type of carbohydrate so you don't really know what it is that you're responding to new it's not a reason to go and cut all gluten out of your diet um and cutting gluten out of your diet can limit your intake of b vitamins iron fiber folate all those sorts of things so it's not something to take lightly and it's not something to do unless you really need to do it they've actually done reviews on like scientific reviews on this and they found that um people who eat gluten-free are more likely to actually eat less fiber and actually eat less b vitamins and folate so it can make you less healthy yeah that's that's actually a very important topic um, still staying though on the topic of organic foods and like pesticides and stuff like is organic really healthier I feel like I know this question but I do believe it's worth talking about yeah um, well I guess I think this brings us back to that whole thing of like being so scared that foods are causing cancers yes, and yeah. disease and you know like our modern farming systems are so bad for us and that's like a general belief in the wellness world right now and therefore people believe like organic is somehow like cleaner and or has less like chemicals has less pesticides those sorts of things but just to put it into context like organic food basically they do use pesticides the pesticides just can't be of chemical origin unless necessary so <laughs> you still might yes you, you definitely are still getting pesticides when you yeah. eat organic foods they just use natural pesticides and natural isn't necessarily safer or better And they've done reviews on organic foods where they've actually found that some organic foods have higher levels of pesticides than the non-organic versions. Oh, wow. So I don't think organic saves you from, like, pesticide residue on your food. I still think you should be, like, washing your food if it's organic. Um, And, yeah, the best way to to reduce pesticide residue is just to wash your fruits and your vegetables. Yeah, and that's super easy. Yeah. Um, So having access to clean water, obviously. Yeah, exactly. Um, and actually, there have been reviews on like whether organic foods have more nutrients, whether they're healthier for us, and they have found that there's really no difference in terms of like because that's what some people will say is like oh well organic farming is better for like soil quality and therefore the vegetables will have yeah. more nutrition. And the reviews have not found the scientific reviews have not found that that's true. Sure. Well, yeah. that's a good that's a good thing to to mention yeah. then because I think a lot of people definitely do. Not saying it's a bad thing, like you do you, but dig into their wallets a little bit heavier. Yeah. You know, to have a, a in inverted commas healthier um, access to food. But if it's not really proven that it is, like if you're not in a space to afford organic, like don't guilt yourself yeah. for buying from the shops. Yeah. That doesn't sure. maybe it's not labeled that. And way. at the end of the day, like I really get upset about this because it kind of makes people perceive being healthy to be expensive. Yeah. And that's not true. Like being healthy can be very affordable. Um so I hate that all these wellness fads or like wellness trends kind of make it more inaccessible for so people true. to be healthy or make it seem super privileged to be healthy. And it is privileged to be healthy at the end of the day. Like even to be able to like you mentioned, afford 
like have running clean water to wash your fruits and your vegetables or to be able to afford fruits and vegetables yeah. from the supermarket um, is privileged. But to an extent, like, I think we make it more privileged than yeah. it needs like to be. Like with expensive powders that you could potentially get in food yeah. or collagen that your body does not need from a yeah. powder. Um, sorry that we're bullying collagen. Yeah, sorry, um, collagen. Let's move on to soy. Um, <laughs> oh, I wanted to also mention about organic foods. Like this is something I always say to people is at the end of the day, we know for sure that the amount of fruits and veg that you eat impacts your health hugely. And sometimes trying to be like too perfectionistic about mm. foods, is that a word? Perfectionist? Well, being, yeah. um, or I guess trying to be like idealist about the food you eat. So you're like, well, it's not just good enough to eat fruits and veg. Like the fruits and veg have to be organic and locally sourced and mm. blah, blah, blah. Um, and cooked in a certain way. You make it so inaccessible for yourself to actually eat healthy and get enough nutrients in. So to me, like the first priority is what's been proven by science to work, which is eating enough fruits and vegetables. And whatever makes it kind of practical for you to do that is so much more important than like the idealistic view of like how you should consume those fruits and vegetables or where they should be sourced from and things like that so I often find in people trying to like be organic or trying to be whatever it is like yeah support local farmers only go to farmers markets that kind of stuff they actually end up consuming less fruits and veg and actually end up not being as healthy if that makes sense yeah no I hear you so moving on to soy, do you think that soy products contain estrogens? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, no, they don't. So soy, soy, like do they, I, I mean like personally I would love to know if they affect like hormone levels. Yeah. And like can it be a part of my diet as someone who maybe has a bit of an imbalance or is still dealing with one? Mm-hmm. Like as a full scope question. I just kind yeah. of... So let's say like as a general thing, soy contains phytoestrogens, which are plant molecules that look like estrogen. They don't act like estrogen in the body. So people just hear the word estrogen and they freak out and they're yeah. like, ooh, that must be very dangerous. Like I don't or want to be consuming me... hormones. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but I mean, it's a bean. It doesn't have hormones in it. <laughs> it's just got these plant molecules that kind of look like estrogen and they can have estrogenic effects in the body. And they can also have anti-estrogenic effects, but the estrogenic effects are like one thousandth of the strength of oh, wow. real estrogen. So when they've done studies where they actually look at, you know, estrogen levels in women who consume more soy and estrogen levels in men who consume more soy, testosterone levels in men that consume more soy, they don't really find any differences, any significant differences. Um, again, there might be one or two studies that have found something but in the bigger picture of all the studies that have ever been done on soy, they've never found a significant difference in hormone levels in people who consume soy. Um, That's nice to know because, I mean, for me, it's always so confusing with having a hormonal imbalance. The, the truth and the false information. Yeah. You know, like... And the fear-mongering. And the fear-mongering. Because, like, essentially, you don't want to make yourself feel worse. Yeah. So you'll do whatever it takes to avoid that. And soy has definitely been part of the conversation. I mean, I don't know how much, um, like, you've dived into soy and thyroid function. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, I feel like that's still the same conversation because it's a hormone it's a little bit different because the thing with soy and thyroid is not to do with the phytoestrogens okay it's actually to do with the fact that soy it's known as a goitrogen which means it basically uses iodine in the body when it's being um it's being digested there are so many foods that are goitrogen so like kale exactly all cruciferous vegetables actually kale cauliflower brussels yeah brussels sprouts i think even radishes yes exactly and no one's going around being like well if you have hypothyroid don't eat kale like everyone's like it's a health food eat it exactly that's so true um but the thing is that when you do eat those foods your body does need more iodine and if your body is low on iodine it can't make enough thyroid hormone so it makes you hypothyroid so for some people, the cause of their hypothyroidism is... Hypo or hypo? Hypo. Oh, okay. Yeah, the cause of their hypothyroidism is actually an iodine deficiency, um, which is usually just caused by not eating enough iodine. It's not caused by like eating too much kale, usually. 100%. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if you are eating more cruciferous vegetables, more soy products, more 
uh, goitrogenic foods, basically you do need to eat a little bit more iodine in your diet um, to like kind of look after your thyroid health. And what would be iodine-rich foods? So fish and seafood are, are rich in iodine, dairy is rich in iodine, and from like a non-animal-based perspective, nori and seaweed are rich mm-hmm. in iodine, and your iodated salts, which okay. in South Africa, like all our salt is iodated. Yeah. So um, it's not difficult to get enough iodine in. Some people do, you know, add an iodine supplement into their regimen like even just people who get diagnosed with hypothyroid that's one of the things they do is they start taking an iodine supplement or they start taking like a multivitamin that's got their daily dose of iodine just to make sure that they are getting enough Mm -hmm. um so you could always do something like that but i mean that's what i do i have and it has those in it exactly just to make sure that i get enough so a lot of the thyroid support kind of supplements have yeah. um, your daily dose of iodine in. Don't like take too said, much iodine. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's also not good. <laughs> too much of anything. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I think soy, if you do have a thyroid disorder, like you do have to... Just, just be aware. Be aware. Think. Like I wouldn't eat like four servings of soy products a day. No. But so few people do that anyway. Like if exactly. you did have soy, like what? It's like the odd bit of tofu. Yeah. And, like you know maybe some meat alternatives every now and then but it's probably not more than like two or three times a week so i don't think it's anything significant and anything to really worry about too much um and yeah from a hormone perspective soy can actually be so beneficial because it's got i it's actually known as an adaptogenic food which means it adapts to your hormone hormone levels like you know like how maca is adaptogenic and a lot of the superfoods they say Oh, adaptogenic soy is like the original adaptogenic. <laughs> She's like the OG babe. Yeah. She's, She's not waiting. cool anymore, but she is. Um, so yeah, soy, like if you have high estrogen levels, soy can actually down help to downregulate your estrogen production. That's amazing. Um, and if so it's more just like being aware of it when you have a thyroid dysfunction, not yes. necessarily a hormone imbalance. Yeah, I would say for hormone imbalances, soy is completely fine. If anything, it can be beneficial. They've even done studies in menopausal women where they found that like it decreases menopausal symptoms. That's amazing. Um, they found that soy actually decreases risk of breast cancer and uh, uterine cancers, like all those like estrogen dominant cancers, mm-hmm. because it can actually lower your estrogen like levels. Like to what is yeah. more of a balance, like homeostasis exactly. within the body. Exactly. So it can be really good for you. Like I really believe in eating soy. That's amazing. And that's why I got you a soy latte this morning. <laughs> Thanks for that. Um, okay, so on what you got me this morning, which was this really cute juice, yeah. I think it would be um, a good topic of conversation. And something that, to be honest, sometimes I even still question, I'm like, is it good or isn't it good? Yeah. Like, I mean, okay, no innately is probably not the best, but yeah. is it that bad? And that's juicing. Like, why or why not? Yeah. Should we or shouldn't we? I don't even know anymore. I'm even confused. Well, I think it's like, a, you know, as with any everything, like there's pros and cons and there's like yeah. a middle ground and it depends how extreme you're going to be. Like, should you be like doing a juice cleanse? No. Should you be only drinking juice for days at a time? Definitely not. Can juice be like something that you just enjoy for the taste of it? Yeah, sure. Um, so I think juice, um, basically what I want people to know about juicing is that it is kind of a source of added sugar in the diet so if you're juicing fruits it's not the same as eating fresh fruit fresh fruit is not considered added sugar it's considered just you know naturally occurring sugar within your food and it's completely different like the way your body processes it is completely different to added sugar in the diet but juice because you've taken the fiber out of the fruit and you've just left like the sugar it is considered an added sugar in the diet and it should be limited especially in like children for example um what about people that juice with no sugar so they just have like green juices yeah. that are filled with just veggies and stuff would that still be considered like not an optimal way of consuming it yes so it is so basically what they found and i know people will be like but i cold press my juice and <laughs> I have one of those, I don't know, there's like all these different juicing technologies that people use and they'll be like, so it retains all the antioxidants and it retains all the nutrients, but they've literally found that 
a lot of the nutrients and the antioxidants specifically in vegetables and fruits are bound to the fiber. So any technique where you're like removing the fiber, you do remove a large amount of antioxidants. I think the stat that I read was like 50%. So And if you blended it? Yeah, then you keep everything in. Okay. So I think blending is so much better. Like I would say like smoothies all the way. So if someone just wants it to smoothie all day, that's a yeah. better option. Yeah. I mean, obviously it's sure. not the tastiest. I mean, it's like very... Or satisfying. Yeah, it's not the most satisfying. So but you can get all your nutrients in, in a smoothie. Yeah. You know, Also a smoothie, you can add like nuts and seeds. Yeah. And you can add proteins, healthy fats, everything and blend it all up. Whereas a juice, it's literally just like vegetables or fruit. Um, and yeah, it's definitely healthier to be eating your vegetables and your fruits. And I think like my argument for drinking juice is like, well, if you're going to drink, you want to drink something that's not water, you want to drink something sweet. Like obviously a juice is probably one of the healthiest options just because all it is is vegetables or fruit. Mm. Um, yeah, it's a bit of added sugar, but small amounts of added sugar are fine. So it, you can definitely enjoy some juice. I know like, yeah, if I go to a restaurant, like probably my drink of choice will be a sort of like fresh pressed juice with some greens in it and some fruit in it um as opposed to like getting a coke or something yeah 100% just to make a healthier choice and because it is enjoyable it's nice and not necessarily which I mean could lead to our next topic to detox like do we need to detox no we do not need to detox we have detox organs that do it for us and if we had no kidney and liver what would we be dead (laughs) well done class (laughs) yeah i guess like what i say to people is if you did need to detox like say like your kidneys and your liver were not working properly doing a detox or juice cleanse or fast would actually put those organs under more strain because when you're fasting basically your kidneys have to preserve so say you're doing like a complete fast your kidneys their job is to preserve like electrolytes and to preserve hydration so your kidneys actually have to like well they have to work harder to extract more water and put it back into your bloodstream and not let the water out through your bladder basically so um or your liver for example when you're fasting or juice cleansing has to basically break down glycogen into into glucose into energy you're not giving your body energy so your liver's doing all this work to break down stores into energy so your your liver and your kidneys are working harder usually juice cleansing when you're doing a juice cleanse when you're doing a fast even intermittent fasting i guess to an extent yeah they i guess well kidneys would only be working if you're not like hydrating properly okay so maybe with intermittent fasting you probably still hydrate um and with juicing i guess but definitely with intermittent fasting your liver is working a little bit to like make more energy for your body mm-hmm. so it's not really detoxing you no. and i don't think we're toxic like i don't think yeah. we need uh, to remove toxins or do anything crazy um detoxes are basically fads and juices do not detox you i don't know why people think juice is like a way to i think they think like they're giving their digestive system a break for a couple days yeah maybe i mean like i used to do juice cleanses but i never saw it as a detox moment i was like oh my gosh i don't have to think about what i'm eating for the next three days because i'm really busy and i always did the virtue cleanse from um orchard orchard we still had food in it it was the nuts the kales the chips the hummus the smoothies the juices yeah the booch, it wasn't just juices. Yeah. Um, so I don't even know if that even falls into the category of juices or detoxes. I mean, I think they definitely marketed it that way. But yeah, you weren't was, doing it for that purpose. No, it was more like I didn't have to think and it was like a meal prep more than anything. Well, that's yes. what it felt like. And maybe like a little bit of a break from just like, I don't know, for your gut or something. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, don't know. I guess that's also like the intention behind whatever choice you make is a huge deciding factor of like how you're going to feel but it's not necessarily like what's going to make your body detox yeah i must say like i've done an ayurvedic cleanse like i did one a kitchery so no it was like a spring cleanse and it was through a yoga studio and it was 
the first three days you do just do like juice and then you add I'm trying to remember I can't remember exactly but you do at some point add kitchery mm. um, and then you like slowly transition back but it's supposed to be more for like balancing vatter and yeah. getting your like doshas in the right state for like spring so it's supposed to be a spring cleanse um, it's not supposed to be like your it's body detox. is toxic and therefore you have to remove toxins. I think that's what I was trying to get at. Yeah. Like the intention of why you do things like this. And maybe it's just about, um, you know, more companies just being a bit transparent behind the marketing of something. Yeah. Well, not transparent, but maybe just like a little bit more empathetic behind the person that's consuming yeah. it and not being like, you're toxic. Yeah. <laughs> you must buy this to be better. Well, I think, I don't know. you know, to be honest, like, let's let's be honest about why women do cleanses because i know from my patients they'll be like i'm just going to juice for three days and lose a few kilos yeah it always boils down to weight yeah like oh i'll have a flat stomach after that but i mean how do you how do you maintain those results it's not sustainable Mm. like you're taking in such a small amount of calories when you juice for a couple days so obviously you'll drop a lot of weight but then as soon as you start exactly and then as soon as you start eating again, like you're just going to regain it. So you're not achieving anything. You're basically just like yo-yo dieting or you're getting yourself into like a binge restrict kind of cycle. 100%. Um, because you're literally, after that juice cleanse, you are going to be so starving that you're going to like start binging or overeating. Um, so yeah, don't juice to lose weight. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that's it. Like if you're choosing to do it for like a personal... And like what you did, a spiritual practice almost. Mm-hmm. I think that there is, I mean, this is my opinion, there is room for, for it, but it's it's not from a detoxing yeah. perspective. And I mean, I, I do a spiritual, fa- like a Jewish fast once a year, which is like 25 hours of no food or water. Ugh. And it's horrible and I hate it. <laughs> and I like hate doing that to my body. And I'm definitely not, I'm literally just doing it because like, it's my religion and we, we have to do it. We like really believe that if you don't do it, you've like you're not going to have, like, blessings for the year to okay. come and stuff. What is it called? It's called Yom Kippur, or, like, the Day of Atonement. So it's supposed to be, like, a day where you, like, atone for your sins for the past year. And the only reason you fast on that day is literally so that you can internalize and focus on your, like, internal space, and you're supposed to just reflect on the year that's passed. Um, so we just like in judaism we believe like eating is one of the physical pleasures of life um i feel like that's the same in hinduism yeah like eating sex those sorts of things are like physical pleasures even just like on fast days you're not allowed to wear like leather shoes because they're too comfortable you're not allowed to sit on nice chairs so you're not allowed to have physical comforts so that you can sit with like the discomfort within yourself yes and so that you can like you can be taken away because we believe like the physical world is like um it takes you away from the spiritual world so when you're like in your physical comforts and you're just like you know eating and having fun and having sex whatever you can't like focus on the spiritual being that you are you're too much like in the physical so that's the only reason you fast and i'm i'm cool with that if it's like 25 hours a year it's not easy yeah i'd be a wreck but (laughs) i mean like you said it's part of your religion it's part of who you are um moving back onto the food topics we just have three more questions that i'd love to dig into so um i'd love to touch on the topic of processed foods like are they all bad um i know we i feel like we kind of touched on this Mm -hmm. um from like should we be eating a 100 percent whole foods diet and you know we've we've touched on like the pleasures of of not doing that um but like maybe let's start with what is the definition of processed food so yeah so processed food is anything that's been altered from its agricultural product that's like the definition so literally if you take an apple and you cut it you are now changing it from its agricultural oh, product really? and you're processing it <laughs> so like a cut up fruit is i process my food every day <laughs> exactly we all eat processed food every day like i don't think any of us eat zero processed food unless you're literally like walking through the jungle picking fruit and eating it um but that that kind of processing is called like minimally processed food so if you're just like cutting things up and mixing them together like you're making a salad for mm-hmm. example or you're making a smoothie that's minimal processing but it's still a type of processing and then 
you know, you think about like wellness culture that and the fact that like everyone talks about processed foods as this scary bad thing and it just doesn't make sense from a scientific point of view because we basically process food to make it tastier and to make it like easier to consume, to make it more practical. Like there's so many reasons we process foods. We also process foods just to like um I guess to preserve them, you know, like if you think about like sauerkraut, that's processed because it's got salt in it and the salt preserves it. Um or yeah, any sort of product that is like jarred or tinned or whatever has been processed to aid in preservation. So I mean, I feel like that answers it then like Yeah. So that's like minimally processed foods. Yeah. You do get like ultra processed foods. There's different levels of processing and ultra processed foods are usually not the most healthy. Like they usually do have lots of like industrial ingredients and flavorants and artificial colorants and things like that. And that's when you start to get to the point where you're like, mm, eating a lot of this is probably not healthy. Like, yeah. no, you should not base your diet on ultra processed foods. But we also shouldn't completely vilify any food that's processed um, just because it's processed. You have to look at the ingredients. You have to read what's in your food. And if it doesn't have anything unhealthy in it, then just because it's processed it doesn't mean anything actually yeah it's just yeah. the way in which it was made yeah all put together um or taken apart yeah <laughs> um which i find fascinating that that's like the actual definition of it like i cut yeah. my apple and now i've processed my food that yeah. just has blown my mind and anything with multiple ingredients is considered processed so, if so you're like, like two ingredients that's processed yeah if you make a curry that's a processed food wow. that's actually like a i guess people just have the perception that processed is like those meat alternatives yeah you know or like I mean? they like processed is like i guess people think it's like sweets and mm. i don't even know i mean i guess that's the question like do yeah. did we even know really what processed food actually means now we have the definition and now it's just about maybe not labeling things so lightly or yeah because nutrition is actually complex and exactly. it's not about like whether something's processed or not it's about what's what are the actual ingredients what's the nutrition profile is this food nutritious does it add nutrients into your diet into your body um like one of the first episodes that we did in i think it was like season one when we spoke about like fortified milks and stuff and mm -hmm. i mean yes that is a processed food but to someone who's maybe not getting those um nutrients from food itself it's such an accessible source exactly um, Exactly. And that's another reason was. why we, we sometimes process foods. Like it can be to preserve foods, which is important because if we don't preserve foods, like we sometimes don't have access to food. Yeah. Um, especially like if you think about countries where, you know, they have super cold winters and they can't grow food in winter. And they need to, you know, in more like, I guess, agricultural food systems, they would have to preserve all their fruits and vegetables so that they have nutrients through winter. Um, and sometimes we process foods for for taste and sometimes we process foods yeah and sometimes we just yeah for so many reasons enjoy it that way um talking about enjoyments let's talk about some carbs yeah um I, again i feel like we did touch on like do carbs lead to weight gain um mm. do they cause diabetes other diseases <laughs> but i think it's just such a good opportunity to reinforce like yeah when and why to avoid something like should we be avoiding carbs i don't think so no mm -hmm. but i mean let's dig into it yeah it's obviously like for us we're like of course not why would you avoid carbs? this is the thing that's why i don't want to sound yeah, like yeah but there's so many people out there that are so scared of carbs like i see it every day in my practice where people are like but if i eat fruit isn't that too much carbs or can i really like eat bread can i really eat potatoes and i'm like you know to me it's crazy exactly, that people yeah. still think this but obviously it's still such a common nutrition myth and and there's still such carb phobia out there so yeah there is no research to show that carbs actually make you gain weight any more so than any other like macronutrient you know at the end of the day weight gain is about eating more calories than your body needs and yes, you can get excess calories from carbs, but you can also get excess calories from fats or from protein um, or from any type of macronutrient or food. So carbs are not specifically more related to weight gain. Um, I know some people will be like, but don't carbs spike your insulin and therefore you store more weight um, or store more fat? And 
the answer is carbs don't not all carbs spike insulin obviously more like refined carbohydrate foods or more high gi maybe sugar spikes your insulin more um but generally like a balanced meal you do get a bit of an insulin spike after a meal and that's not a problem that's just our bodies dealing with eating and putting the food away um and storing it and yeah there's also i guess there's some benefit to eating carbs and that carbs are very easily used for energy yeah they're like our preferred source of energy so you can argue that carbs are less of a weight gaining food in a way than other or weight gaining nutrient than other types of nutrients because they're not as easily stored as fat actually your body likes to use carbs for energy so it'll first try use it as energy and only the excess that it doesn't need will be stored away so again it would then lead more to those who live like a sedentary lifestyle who overconsume calories would be yeah. the reason for excessive weight gain for your said body than an actual macro yeah for sure like that's the the basic of it mm-hmm. um Something that I would love to touch on, and it's only because my hormone specialist brought it up, and I'd love to hear your mm-hmm. perception of it, or like your knowledge behind it. Um, don't know why I said perception. <laughs> okay, so basically, I'd like to talk about like fresh, f- fresh versus canned and frozen. Like, is fresh really better? But more so, I got told that tinned food. Mm-hmm can disrupt hormones Uh by my doctor and I just it obviously it's such an accessible way to have certain foods especially beans yeah but is it such a hormone disruptor I don't know sorry I know that's like two very very big questions so let's rather just like start off with like fresh canned frozen like which one is the better one and then maybe you can answer my my personal question sure (laughs) so basically i think people like perceive that fresh food is always better or more nutritious and that's actually not true because we spoke a little bit about preservation of food but canned and frozen foods are just ways of preserving foods for longer periods of time than fresh food and because they preserved very well actually we lose less nutrients Hmm. so every time like for example every minute from picking a vegetable to like serving it you are losing some nutrients so just like you know when vegetables are at room temperature or at fridge temperature they are losing nutrients so if you go and buy broccoli and you keep it in your fridge for a week it's losing nutrients through the course of that week and then obviously when you cook your vegetables or you cut your vegetables you also lose nutrients so by the time we eat our vegetables we sometimes lose up to 50 percent of the nutrients in them which is fine we just need to eat lots of veg um but when you use frozen vegetables you basically they usually get flash frozen so they get frozen quite quickly after being harvested so there's less time for them to actually lose nutrients and once they're frozen they don't lose nutrients so freezing retains nutrients um so i'm a big fan of frozen veg i love frozen frozen veg yeah but i mean even to the point of just like for example i've started putting like frozen peas into my smoothies Mm. and it's such an extra like source of protein and extra green yeah it makes my smoothie nice and thick um but then like if the added benefit is that it's got a high nutrient content content that's the word like whoa another bonus yeah for sure i think um it's so crazy to me how people think that frozen veg is bad i guess it's like Everyone thinks of frozen veg as like, you know, those like traditional like carrot, corn, pea mix. Oh, yeah. Well, to be honest, I was thinking that in my head. Yeah. I was like, is that still in the same... But yeah, it is. I mean, it's still healthy. I guess people just think like, oh, it's better to eat more green vegetables and more... But you get you get frozen spinach, you get frozen broccoli, you yeah. get frozen stir-fry mixes, you get everything frozen. You can even freeze your own vegetables, you know? So... Well, I tend to do that a lot with my spinach because yeah. it... it it literally lasts like a day out of the bag yeah so i just end up putting them in my smoothies and that's also really nice for sure so definitely and frozen veg is super convenient because you don't have to like go shopping every few days for fresh vegetables it stays fresh for longer and it's more cost effective yeah 
So it's a huge win. Yeah. But then going, can we go into the tin things? Can. So it can definitely also it retain. Can sorry. <laughs> Tinned <laughs> beans retain nutrients or yeah. tinned vegetables do retain nutrients. I think some tinned products do have added sugars and yeah, I guess like you get like those like curried vegetables and the ones, I don't know curried if you see them, curried tinned vegetables <laughs> Or it's like vegetables and chakalaka and like things like that. Well, wow, I like literally don't even look for those, so I just haven't seen it. They're really nice, but they they definitely and what about have like tin soups. Would that still fall into the same? Yeah, um, yeah. I think you know, check your ingredients. Not all of these tin products, like when they do have lots of sauces and things on them, they do sometimes have a little bit too much salt, a little bit too much sugar. Sometimes they have. Um, you know thickeners in them and things like that so when I buy tinned I try to just buy like tinned in brine so it's just tinned mm. in salt water and you can obviously just rinse the salt off it um, but yeah tinned food is a sort of concern for for yeah, cancer risk and hormone disruption and things like that so tinned foods basically have uh, BPAs in them which are you know what you would traditionally find in like plastic water bottles and things like that. So the t- the lining of the tin has has BPAs and then it kind of like leaches into the food over time because also those tins are heated at high pressure to cook the food inside them. That's how tinning works. So they like, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, they, so put, they like put like what? the dry beans in. So say it's tin beans or tin chickpeas, I'll put like the dried chickpeas in with like the water, the salt, and they seal the tin. And then they like heat it and put pressure, put it under pressure, and then it like cooks inside the tin. I had no idea. <laughs> it's super cool, actually. Mind blown. That's very cool. And that's also why it retains a lot of nutrients because then it's just like in there and everything's yeah. You know, all the nutrients are stuck in there. But yeah, so because of that heat process, the BPAs are released from the inside of the tin and they go into the food. Um, and if you eat a lot of tinned products, then it does increase the intake of BPAs. And they are known as endocrine disruptors, which are like hormone disruptors, um, and which do increase risk for, for cancer. Like en- endocrine disruptors are known as carcinogens. So I know overseas you do get like BPA-free tins, and I'm hoping that'll become a thing in South Africa. That would be nice. It would be so convenient. Because tins are just so convenient, yeah. so cost-effective. I mean, like, that's how we make all our curries. Yeah. I don't... I'm sorry, I do not go soak my beans. Yeah. I don't have... Like, that is not on my priority no. list. Maybe it should be. I don't know. But, like, I don't soak my legumes and my grains. Yeah. It's a huge mission to cook legumes from scratch. Unless you have an instant pot. <laughs> I do, but we've been through this. I don't know how to use it. So we're so going to have to do some, some tutorials on how to, how to cook beans in the instant pot. But other than that, yeah, they just are so convenient. The so maybe foods. it's like, I mean, this is my, this is what I get out of the, what you've shared now is that it's not necessarily that like either are better, but it's just maybe about like, again, like how much you yeah. have of those products so like yeah. it's not about yes fresh food is obviously ultimately fab but frozen food has more nutrients and is more convenient and tin food is like maybe something yeah. that should be limited but all three are perfectly fine to be in your home yeah and i also think like yes tin food has its risks in terms of like bpas but i'm not going to be like oh my gosh it's so dangerous never touch a tin you mm. know it's really it, it really is a dosage thing it's like how much tins are you using and you know, you really would have to eat quite a lot of tinned food to get like an excessive amount of BPAs in and increase your risk of cancer and things like that. So um, my rule is generally, I mean, there's certain things that you can't compromise on when it comes to tinned food. Like tinned tomatoes are basic in cooking for me. Yeah, as and well. I'm not going to use fresh tomatoes. It's too much of a mission. <laughs> and like tinned coconut milk, like how do you make a curry without coconut milk? You know, it's all goes back to the curry. Yeah. Like, well, that is a tin meal, I guess, for me. So, um, yeah, for me, I, I do I do beans from scratch because I'm plant-based also. I think if I didn't make my beans from dry, I would eat way too much tin food. That's um, true. Because I would be eating, like, at least a tin of beans a day, plus tin tomatoes, plus tin coconut milk, yeah, yeah. that kind of stuff. So my compromise is, like, I'll still do tin tomatoes, I'll still do coconut milk, mm-hmm. I'll still do, like, tomato paste and things like that. But then I try to do my beans from scratch because beans are really an everyday food for me. Yeah, they're not for me. 
Yeah. So, I mean, that makes sense. It's exactly. like relative then, I guess, like checking your lifestyle and seeing like the consumption again, yeah. poison in the portion. Um, I mean, like that's all, that's all I wanted to know today. So, I mean, I don't have anything else to add. Um, but if anyone has any questions, um, you can pop Jess a message. Sure. I'll leave um, your handle in in the in the show notes. Um, otherwise, it's at the Green Dietitian. But I know there's some underscores, so I'll just mm-hmm. make sure. Um, but yeah, that's us from today. I think. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. We'll see you next week. Yes. I think we've got one more. Yes. Okay. Bye, guys. Have a good day. Bye.